Oscar, BAFTA, and Golden Globe nominated for her screenwriting work on the feature film District 9, Terry Tatchell loves blending fantastical stories. Look at that fancy word dropped in the middle there. With social commentary, the endangered and misunderstood series of children's picture books does just that, taking an accessible approach to the serious subject of endangered animals with an emphasis on laughter, adventure, and everyday relatable themes. Terry, nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me here. Tell me a little bit, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff here, but we have to talk about the endangered and misunderstood series of children's books. The first one is out now, and uh, uh, it's called I.I. Gets Lucky. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the series is about endangered and misunderstood animals. And the idea came when I started hearing about all these animals that are endangered that I'd never heard of. And I was like, they need a seat at the table. They need children to love them too. And uh, the first one that I thought I should start with was the most unloved of them all, which is a lemur, which is an I.I., and lemurs are the most endangered mammals in the world, which a lot of kids do know. But most of them don't know about the I.I. Uh, he's the largest nocturnal primate. And this part isn't in the children's books, but people think he's bad luck and mm. omen of death, actually. And so he's killed on sight. So that's not doing anything for his no. uh, fight to not become <laughs> <laughs> extinct. So trying to spread the love for I.I. in a fun, uh, approachable way. And then at the back, there's uh, there's there's a f- soft facts, mm-hmm. not trying to, to traumatize the kids. Right. So and just like little ways they can help. and. And just get kids interested in conservationism, in you know, in, in knowing about the world that's around them. Exactly. And and I figure starting the conversation earlier, although I have had the great feedback that this book is good for adults too, because <laughs> there's well, I love kids' books, but there's there's humor <laughs> in it and there there's a lot in there. But I figure starting it early with love without fear mm-hmm. is maybe a nice way to do it. And as they get a little bit older and know their characters that they love, they can get interested in the fact that and hopefully as they get older it'll be like, oh this he was on the list, but he's not anymore. That's right. the goal. That's the goal. And it's all for um, all the proceeds go to charity. So for each book Uh, So for this one, all the money will go towards eye conservation. The next book is about the pangolin, Mm -hmm. which is the most trafficked animal. And so all the money goes to What do they get trafficking... Those what, that it's it's medicine, medicinal really folklore about what it what yeah. So they're they're the most trafficked. But they're getting when I started the series, thinking about the series, they nobody knew about them, and mm-hmm. now thankfully they're in the headlines a little more, so that they're a little more well known. So uh, we'll talk. Uh, we're eventually going to go way back to the beginnings of your career, but uh, hearing you talk about this. It's a children's book, which you've never written before, but uh, all the themes that run throughout the other stuff that you write are here. I mean, if you look at District 9 and Chappie, those those scripts have uh, themes about uh, humanity in them, even though they're, they're sort of high-tech stories. They have themes about humanity, themes about uh, being aware of, of how things are changing, uh, about the world that we live in. This is something that clearly is very close to you. For sure. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it, it's definitely, I, someone told me once that you have to get a couple decades into your career before you can actually see what your themes mm-hmm. are. 
and <laughs> mine aren't hiding. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Even I did a play once, and it was uh, Women, Lunatic, Idiot, Criminal, and it was about the women's fight to write, and it's like, clearly, it's about the underdog and the oppressed yep. as well, and uh, and I like that with the animals. I've chosen the underdog <laughs> of the endangered animals, so it's, uh, and also the uh, the unlikable a uh, hero seems right. to be a bit of a bit of a, <laughs> trying to make the unlikable hero likable. And and why do you think you you are drawn to underdog stories? You know, I th- I've thought about that a lot because I don't feel like an underdog mm-hmm. for sure. But I think it has a lot to do with travel when I was young. My kids, when I, my kids, my, my mom and dad, <laughs> they were young when they had me. <laughs> they took me to, uh, we went backpacking through Europe when I was six. And wow. they took me to concentration camps. They took me to Anne Frank's. And I think that sort of exposure and education at that young of an age is traumatizing. Mm-hmm. But it also puts questions in your head and it makes you grapple at trying to understand humanity and how people can behave that way. And it never really goes away. Well, I also think that travel uh, at any age uh, creates empathy with people. And I think when you get out in the world and no matter where you are, whether you're backpacking through Europe at age six or you are 50 years old and you go to East Africa or you are when wherever it is that you go, you realize that people really all just want the same stuff. I mean, they want a safe place for their kids to be. Yeah. They want food on the table. They want People aren't weird and scary yeah. from around the world. And, and it creates empathy when you see it and you experience it. It, change, it can change lives. Travel can change lives. No, absolutely, for sure. And it, uh, empathy is the key. I remember reading and in, in, being taught in psychology in first year of university when you actually develop empathy as a kid. And I was like, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and empathy is so important. And empathy is actually, it's funny, people, I, I believe probably because of my screenwriting background right. that the themes are quite layered in this book. And I love that because as different people read it or review it, they're picking up different themes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the goal. Because different themes are going to apply to different people at different times in their lives, and they're going to find what they need in there. But to me, empathy is one of the huge ones because as kids are growing and developing that for the playground, and there's a lot of themes in here I wanted to apply to the animals and the world and humanity, but it needed to apply to the playground or else it's not going to be applicable to kids at that moment in their life. You grew up in Vancouver and you were obsessed, I'm told, with stories and storytelling. What do you remember about a, a record of Danny Kay doing fairy tales <gasps> that really made a difference in your life? I still have that record. Do you? Yes, we recently got a record player, and we pulled out all the old records, and I have my Danny Kay record, and I, it makes me, I'm beaming right now. You can't see that, but well, I'm beaming. I think I had it, too. When I was reading <gasps> really? about this, I'm, I, I had... Uh, a series of those story yeah. time albums, and I totally had the Danny <gasps> Kay album. It was the best. I listened to it over and, and both sides, yeah. over <laughs> and over and over again. And then when I, when my daughter was young, I found it online, mm-hmm. and I'd play it in the car. <laughs> yeah. and, and what was it about? I mean, the stories. Was it just the storytelling? Was it what? What was? Well, it's Danny Kay, so he's a pretty good storyteller. So I learned. I learned. I'm doing a story time later today, and I got to say, I learned my voices from Danny Kay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I was recently, a book just came out, and I wish I could remember its name. And they, they were studying story, kids reading stories. Right. It's fascinating. I hate that I don't remember its name. But it uh, they, they studied the brain while you were listening to stories, mm-hmm. while you were listening, having stories read to you and looking at the pictures or just looking at a screen. And, of course, looking at the pictures and being read to was huge, off the charts, brain activity. Um, and I was a little bit sad to see that just listening to a story didn't really – there was a little bit going on, but not a lot. And kind of with the empathy thing, it's like I beg to differ yeah. because I would say my storytelling passion <laughs> and everything came largely from those Danny Kay records. And I can still see the movie I saw in my head while I listened to the mm-hmm. records over and over the little pot of porridge. And the, I just <laughs> – I loved them. And it just – I don't know, it spun my imagination and created synapses in my brain for storytelling. And your mother was an elementary school teacher. Your dad worked at uh, BC Tell. Uh, were either involved in the arts? Uh, no, no, they weren't. I mean, my mom, I remember my mom bringing home, because they did have me quite young. And so she was going through her teaching degree when I was little. And one of her projects was to do a children's picture book. And she mm-hmm. did a story about a bunny. And, I, of course, I worship my mother because yeah. everybody does. But when she brought home that book and I saw her, and I remember she was a little bit self-deprecating about it, like, oh, it's, it's not so great. I loved that book <laughs> so much. And she was just, just amazing to me that she'd written this book. Do you still so, have it? Uh, you know what? No. I wonder if she does. That's a good question. I, th- I think she's purged a lot, <laughs> a lot. But I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to follow up with her on that. I, I found uh, in my experience that things from my childhood that I thought were very dear and irreplaceable uh, that my parents uh, didn't feel the same way about. Yeah, and yeah. Purged. Yep, yeah, generally yep. that's how it is, I think. <laughs> the purging hurts. <laughs> so uh, you thought – you know, I would have imagined, having read about you and knowing about you now, that uh, you would have been, you know, at film school right out of, of uh, high school. That didn't happen. Uh, you were thinking about going into law or journalism, but instead you went to SFU for psychology and criminology. Yeah. And that, uh, I mean, I get it. It's a study of humanity still in, mm. in, in a way. Uh, but what was it about that course that appealed to you? Um, well, it was it, – it, I thought I wanted to go to law school, so I got the best marks in psychology. It was right. as simple as that. It was, wasn't hard. It was <laughs> interesting to me. And same with criminology. Like, yeah. I just found it very, very – I almost wished I could have majored in criminology because it was fascinating. The, um, the, and, and I also took – I realized in hindsight every single – uh, children's book course that I could as an elective. <laughs> really? So I, I had a lot of education there because I love and English just loved English, but uh, it was it was definitely. I mean, I think everything you do adds up to where you're going, and I definitely benefited greatly from those courses, and they've still stayed in my brain. Um, but it wasn't. It was not the correct path. Yeah, film school came later. I do think that uh, no matter what every experience does sort of build on top of one another to uh, eventually get you where you're going. Sometimes it can be kind of a, a weird path to take. I.I. is a lemur, but he's not just a lemur. He's a kind of lemur. He is. There's over a hundred types of lemurs. I didn't know. Me either. That's why it's fun to do this. I'm learning so much. <laughs> he is a nocturnal lemur and he's very unique. He uses echolocation to find his food. Wow. Yeah, very unique. He is the largest nocturnal primate. Uh, he there's there's a lot of interesting facts about him. Yeah, he has these really 
really long, spindly fingers, almost spider-like, that he taps. I went to uh, D- Duke Lemur University to meet an I.I. because I thought you can't write about an animal and not yeah, have yeah. introduced yourself to one. So <laughs> I went there and I signed up for their lemur keeper for a day. <laughs> really? Without saying why. I was, I'm sure they expected a kid to arrive. And I arrived and it's an amazing place, by the way. If anyone has a uh, passion, it's in uh, North Carolina. Right. I flew there for the day to go be a lemur keeper for the day. And it's just incredible. And they have all different lemurs and they it's, it's, it's an amazing place. It's all about conservation and learning about them and how to help them. And so I arrived and they're like, what lemur do you want to spend the day with? And I'm like, the eye eye. Like, Excuse me? Nobody ever wants to see the eye eye. Everyone hates the eye eye. If he points his finger at you, you're going to die. Because they, people think they're bad. That luck. is. That is. They have the refuge. They have the folklore in Madagascar that if you see one, unless you kill it, it'll mean death to someone in your village. So that's not helping their cause at and all. And is it the, the pointing thing? Is that it? It, it yeah. apparently is the pointing thing. And luckily I didn't get pointed at, but... <laughs> But they uh, to tell the tale. Yeah, meeting one was pretty interesting. They, uh, I got to make him. I got to make them lunch. They have a few of them there, and so we made up their food, and then you stuff the food in a cereal box, so that they're they can tap, and then we bring it in, and she, it, it's nocturnal, so it's dark, and they have a light on, and they put me basically in a hazmat suit in case I have tuberculosis, protecting the eye eye. That's good. And then she, the first one we went into the the guide that was helping me, she said, okay, if the eye eye huffs. Then we got to step back towards the door. So we get in. I put the food down. I'm all excited. This creature, much bigger than what I was expecting, but still small yes. uh, and a little bit intimidating at first, goes, Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that a huff? Is that a huff? And so we back towards the door and almost immediately, <gasps> again. And so just like, get out. We have to get out. Then I'm like, oh, no, the eye wants to kill me. I flew here for the day Exactly. Then she's like, okay, well, we have much nicer eye eyes, but we have to walk a ways to get to one. I was like, why didn't you take me to the nice eye eye yeah. first? <laughs> and so then I met the really nice, curious eye eyes, right. and it was a much better experience. But I was kind of happy to have the first experience because it gave me a little bit of insight and empathy into why that belief is there in the first place. Right, right. I've only uh, seen a lemur once, I think, in person, and it was in Thailand, and I was sitting at a bar, an outside bar, and a guy came up, and he was holding a lemur, and he said, for, you know, the equivalent of about a quarter or or 50 cents, you can hold the lemur for a while. (laughs) Did you? I didn't do it because I thought he was exploiting the lemur. Yeah, that was probably the right decision, for sure. I, I, I guess so, but I've thought about it later, and I thought, well, what if that's what he the way he feeds the lemur. Oh. He gets money to feed the lemur Good that point. way. So I'm not sure if I made the right decision or not. That's a tough one. That, that I, I have a problem with. Do you know where a good place to see lemurs? Not an eye eye because he never comes out, but it's the London Zoo. Oh. When I'm in London, I go to the zoo like daily. <laughs> no joke. I ha- I don't live in London, and but I have an annual membership, right. and I go because you can sit in this outside area, and the lemurs just sit around you. And the last time I went, it was a sunny day, and they just all gathered around me and ate their snacks, and I was all by myself. I love that so much. And so happy. So I highly recommend going to the London Zoo. They do have an eye eye, but it's dark, and he does. I- I've never been able to see the eye eye, and. And people come in with their children. They're like, ew, isn't he horrible? They look at his picture and oh, say no. mean things about him. And yeah, so that's why I needs to get lucky. Yeah, so your new book, I, I Gets Lucky, is is aiming to change that perception. Absolutely. Because he's cute. In the, he in the book, he's cute. And he, he they really are cute, especially the babies. Yeah. If you look online, search I.I. or... 
yeah, it, it's A-Y-E dash A-Y-E. And there was recently a new baby born at the Duke Lemur Center. And there's pictures all over the internet because he's really very cute. And tell me about uh, creating this book. You're working with a, a, a great designer as well. Um, what comes first? I mean, I guess the words come first and then the pictures follow, or do you work sort of in tandem? Well, the, the words definitely came first. I wrote the first three books, and then I started searching the internet for an image right. because I had it very clear in my head. I cannot draw for the life of me, but I had a really, I guess being a screenwriter, I had a very, <laughs> yeah, I had a very clear, clear image in my head of what I wanted. Right. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I searched. And then I came across this picture of a fox in a burrow and it was it's still one of my favorite pictures. And but the writing below it wasn't in English. I'm like, what language is that? And so I found my author. He's Ukrainian. And he lived in Kiev. And trying to get a hold of him was not easy. <laughs> but I finally found him. And thank goodness he speaks English. And he, I pitched him the project. And I sent him imagery of what I was looking for. And he, he said, yeah, I'd love to work on that. I love animals. And I love drawing animals. But I'm busy for a year. So I waited for a year. He, he clearly was worth it. And yeah. I said, well, at the end of the year, do you think we could do three books in a row? So he's working on the Pangolin book right now, and I get two spreads a month. And when that email comes through, it is like Christmas. And I expected to get the book and have to give notes back, and, right. and he just wouldn't get it. He Not only did he get it, he just knocked it out of the park. Like He's added little details. There's funny little details and cute little – he really researched the area and what other animals and insects would be there and flowers and trees, and he, he has elevated the project. Well, the art is so important for these uh, children's books because kids want their eye entertained as much as they want their mind entertained. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's I did my first story time on Sunday with 32 kids in Vancouver. Wow. And it was it was amazing. And each of them got a book to take home. And the parents, uh, I mean, doing the story time was incredible. They, I thought, I hope they want to listen. There, yeah. Some of them are pretty little. They, they and the parents listened to every word. <laughs> and then I had tons of questions afterwards. But my favorite thing was the parents sending me emails after with the kids in the back seat looking at their book. Their kids at home looking at the book. They're like, it just kept, they kept wanting to hear it and find different things in the picture so that pretty much uh, made my heart burst. Criminology, psychology, we left that, we let that dangling a while ago. Criminology and psychology are looming large in your life. Uh, and then uh, you realized it wasn't for you. Yeah, no, I realized that I was actually working, I was working, it was Canada Trust at the time. And uh, while I was going to university and one of the bank tellers found out what I was thinking I wanted to be when I grew up. And she's like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And I was like, no, I really do. And she's like, you're just watching TV and think you do. Yeah, you're you watching, need to go uh, work in a law firm downtown. And so she actually arranged for an interview for me for a part-time job as a receptionist at a law firm. She's like, you need to figure this out before you go to law school. And I think I worked there three months. It's like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I do not <laughs> want to be a lawyer. And so then I was really confused. And uh, I ended up working at that law firm for a while while I tried to figure things out. And uh, I worked, went into corporate law and then I was in securities, which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. It did capture my attention for a while. And then from there, one of the clients was starting uh, one of the first visual effects houses in Vancouver. Well, this is Bob Scarabelli, right? Yes. And 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 who's no longer with us, no. right? Yeah. But but he is kind of a legend in in terms yeah. of of uh, forwarding the art of visual effects and things in Canada with a company called Rainmaker. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. yeah. No, Bob is. I was the first Rainmaker employee. 
And Bob very, very, he was 49 when he passed away, and it's like getting teary even thinking about it now. He's such a special, special guy and a huge influence in my life, massive influence in my life. So much when you play that game, I don't know, if if that person didn't exist, often I think it's like I'm not really sure I'd be. You'd be working at the law firm yeah, still. Or exactly. Knows, right? No, yeah. he was definitely one of those life changers for me. And and what did you do there? You did PR. You did a, lot, a number of things and you kind of went in and out, right? You, I did. You, you sort of like a donut. You were there for a while, then you took a little break and then you went back. Yep, for sure. So at first I was Bob's assistant and he, it was he actually uh, took over Gastown Post and Transfer. So Rainmaker was in Gastown Post and Transfer, just one little office and Bob and I shared an office. And uh, I worked there for a year while it was going public. And then I realized, okay, everyone here that has anywhere to go in this company is artistic. Right. I am not artistic. But what did happen when I was there is I got to read my first script, mm. Jumanji. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And wow. it came with a children's picture book, of uh, course. Uh, so I had this, I'll never forget it, on my desk, this Jumanji children's picture book and this script. And I was like, oh, both these things are making me just dizzy <laughs> with excitement. And so those definitely played a big part in where I am today. Well, and what is it? I, I, I Scripts, I have a tough time reading a script. I read books like yeah. they're like they're going to be declared illegal the next day. I yeah. I, I rip through books. Yeah. Uh, but but scripts, I I just don't seem to understand how to read a script properly. Well, I mean, I I don't know why you would even want to. Really. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think people send me their scripts to have a look uh, at. Yeah. It. I'm, not, I'm not the person to. I'm declaring it right <laughs> Declare now. That I'm now. not the person to send your script to. <laughs> no, it, I mean, I look at. I mean, scripts are a blueprint. Mm-hmm. They're not really written. I mean, they can be extreme entertaining, and I would like to hope that my scripts are entertaining, but I think that they're a blueprint. They're yeah. definitely not meant for entertainment. I know uh, Shane Black, the kind of story about how he got his first scripts noticed was his descriptions of things were so outrageous that, you know, instead (laughs) of having a stage direction or something, he would write something that was just like profane and, (laughs) and, and colorful and whatever else. And it really captured people's eyes. It helps, for sure. And it was, it was the way he got noticed. Yeah. And then he wrote Lethal Weapon and all. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stuff after that. So, so Jumanji. The book and the script is there. Yes. It's a leap between reading that and then, you know, writing. Something. Well, I, and it was, I honestly, I did not look down there. I, it was more the book. I was like, oh, I wish I was a children's author. I wonder yeah. who these magical fairies are that write children's books. Yeah, yeah. And the script, too. I was like, well, that's people in Hollywood. Right. And uh, and then I went about my life. And then I went and worked at, uh, at, at investment bank and mining for a while as an assistant. And then I had my daughter. Yeah. And I thought, what do I want to do? Like, life's precious, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to be away from her. What do I want to do? And that's when I was like, I want to write children's books. And I took a course at Douglas College in Vancouver and met this amazing teacher who said, you know, if you want to write children's books, there's this thing in in BC, and it doesn't exist anymore, but it was BC Festival of the Arts. And you send in a sample writing, and if you get picked, you get sent away for three days to get mentored by real life yeah, yeah. children's authors. And so I sent something in and it was actually about a hyena <laughs> <laughs> and I got picked. So I got to go to Nelson and it was amazing. It was incredible. But while I was in Nelson, I met someone who was going about to go to Vancouver Film School for screenwriting. And I was like, wait a minute. What, what, Vancouver, what? Film school here? Canadians can do that. And uh, I found out they were giving away a scholarship. 
So I ran home, bought How to Write a Screenplay in 21 Days. And, like uh, one of those Sid Fields books or something? Uh, no, or? not even. It's uh, Vicky, I can't remember her name, but it's actually really, really, I've just, I just bought it for someone because it is so good. Right. And uh, did my first 10 pages and outline of screen, sent it in, and then I won the scholarship. So I don't think I would have been, had the guts to say, I'm going to be a screenwriter and gone to school for it, but they saw something in my writing, so it's like, okay, I, here I go. And then I put the children's writing aside and launched into uh, a film career. What were those first screenplays like? That that I didn't. Yeah, oh, that you yeah, were, when I do. Started writing. What do you know what? Like? The first one, the first one was uh, 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 based on going to my grandparents' farm. My grandparents had a farm, and it was like a time travel. They <laughs> they went. To, I went through. The character went to World War World War Two, and was being saw her grandmother being put on a train. Wow. Being sent out that so that was that one that's in a drawer somewhere, <laughs> and then I also did the I adapted the children's picture book to a children's animated film which was called Hubert Hyena's First Birthday. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, look those up. <laughs> I like Hubert Hyena. That's Hubert catchy. Hyena, I yeah, like it was he lost it. Everyone got relocated except him, and he lost his ability to laugh. And then the whole everybody started fighting and eating each other because he didn't have the humor there. So my husband's that. South African, and he's like, hyenas are not nice. You can't do that story. I'm like, that's why I need to do that story because you think they're not they're nice. Misunderstood. Exactly. <laughs> They're not endangered, though, so they won't get a book. <laughs> and, and, and not yet. Yes. Uh, what authors around this time, what authors and, and books were you reading and that were influencing you? Uh, around which? Yeah, right when you start writing screenplays. And, and, and oh, I mean, man. the idea is, I mean, there, there's a leap between a time travel story about your grandmother and, <laughs> and Hubert Hyena. Is there is there a, a, you know, some link or were you just reading everything? Were you just sort of... A, just, you know, to me, line? there is a link between children's and science fiction, completely and utterly. I, I'm an optimist. I'm happy. But I see things and they upset me. Mm. And science fiction and children's books are allow you to talk about those things that upset you with a positive outlook and a fun I, – I really – I love that about those two genres. And to me, they are very, very similar. And uh, we can find out more uh, about that sort of optimism that you talk about in I.I. Gets Lucky. Uh, it's a book is uh, as part of the uh, Endangered and Misunderstood series of books that will be out uh, over the next couple of years, probably. I, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for uh, every six months. Every six months. So or Ivan, I don't know. I know. The, the illustrator, <laughs> see if he can keep up with you. I.I. Gets Lucky. It's about a lemur who is misunderstood thought to be bad luck, and you want to sort of paint the lemur through a different lens so that people can get to know them and know that they are endangered and and uh, maybe, you know, take steps towards making them not endangered. Yes, there's a there's a spread in the back that it's a how to draw the eye eye and, uh, and ways that – interesting facts and ways kids can help mm -hmm. in, in really easy, fun ways, like write a story about an eye eye. So we've talked about writing your uh, screenplays, getting a scholarship, you go to school, uh, and then District 9 comes along. And District 9 was such a huge hit. You and your husband working on this together. Uh, and 
did you expect the enormous success of this film? <laughs> no. No. And in fact, at moments in the edit room, I, I actually literally said to my husband, well, this won't be our Oscar nomination. Really? <laughs> but I did say that. <laughs> I did say that. And, and why? You just said, were you too close I, that to That was it? like very, very early. Yeah. Very early. It was, uh, and it was before the visual effects were in. Right. So that was when there was just a guy in a suit. It's like, oh, <laughs> no, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and tell me about the idea for that and where it came from. Uh, it came from uh, – so my husband, Neil Blomkamp, yep. uh, did a short film. He grew up in South Africa, mm-hmm. and he always wanted to see science fiction where he grew up. Yep. So he shot a short film, and visual effects were his background. So he was very good at that. Sh- uh, went around Soweto and then put uh, aliens in there. And, and it's an allegory for apartheid. Absolutely. And also for xenophobia at that time because the uh, – South Africans called people that came down from Zimbabwe, Nigeria, everywhere else, they called them aliens, and they were taking their jobs. So they were very angry, and there was a lot of violence at that time. So Neil used aliens as uh, from the short film. So we knew when we started the film what our world was. We just didn't know our characters or their story or anything. Right. So that was a lot to figure out. Yeah, so you figure all this out, and then it, it, it goes – like wild. I mean, this is a huge hit. And and uh, what happens here? I mean, you know, an Oscar nomination is where everybody, you know, who works in film probably, you know, at some point has their eye towards, but it affected you in a way that, that is quite interesting, I think. It affected me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely was unexpected. And it, uh, it was so early on, is uh, it, it was it was wonderful, and I was particularly excited about the film itself getting nominated yeah. for Best Picture because so many people poured their heart and souls into that film, and that recognizes everybody, which I love. So that that was that was what made me the happiest. For me personally, it uh, it opened up a lot of doors, but it also perhaps paralyzed me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and tell me why, and tell me how is it just that there's a spotlight where there hadn't been one before? Well, it's just the bar. Where do it's like you say? Where do you go from there? (laughs) It's it set the bar very high, and it it yeah, it did paralyze me a little bit. And in fact, when Chappie came out, Neil did Elysium after that without me, and because we we worked. We said you would never work together. Yeah, we did. It was tough. I'm not gonna lie. It was not easy. Yeah, and we wrote for a year. And it was it was tough. We now have a rule that when we work together, we only email. We never talk about it face to face. Really? If it's it each, doesn't get fighty. No, no, he's not, he's not a fighter. I just get really heated and passionate about what I'm talking about, and he's a calm, calm communicator. And I'm not <laughs> such a calm guy. And he also is really good at leaving it at the door. Right. Like he wants to be at home and have a nice time, whereas I'm like, wake up! <laughs> I know what has to happen to the aliens. <laughs> so we've 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 we're, we've got a good groove going on. If it's his project, then. I'm, we can talk about it face to face, no problem. Or if it's mine, we can talk about it face to face. But if we're collaborating, then we have to email. Yeah. Yeah. I, listen, I, I wish, you know, uh, that everyone, whether you're married or not, if you're collaborating with someone, I wish everyone could figure that kind of method out because nobody does. Nobody yeah. figures it out. And look at all the people who have collaborated who have split because they don't, they can't figure out the face to face. Yeah, they and may I, spark, but they can't figure yeah, out the face to face. And I understand why. I've yeah. been really lucky at collaborations in my life in that 
I haven't had any splits really. It's yeah. like I, I think everyone I've worked with, I've stayed with. And it probably is from that experience. That year doing District 9, yeah. my skills for for calm collaboration <laughs> <laughs> definitely were, uh, were, were necessary. To, it was a steep learning curve. <laughs> I want to ask you uh, a little bit about uh, political involvement because there's themes that run throughout everything that you do. Um, you know, District 9 blended social allegory with science fiction. There's Chappie that had interesting themes about finding the humanity and in artificial intelligence and looking for empathy, which we talked about earlier. Uh, I, I Gets Lucky and this series of books uh, feels uh, motivated by very much the same kind of thought process. Are you politically involved or are these just, is this just a way of life? Uh, this is, I think I, I'm, I have my own political thoughts, right. which, uh, but I, I stay out of the arguments. Mm. I, I I definitely stay out the argument. And to me, it it's like for political everything. It's just like be kind, yeah. be be. Yeah, I don't be. I I don't. Yeah, I, so I'd have to say no. I'm not. I'm not publicly political at all. And internally, I'm not at all. To me, it's more. It's more a humanity thing. It the, really is. These days. I find myself more and more being drawn towards uh, projects, things that I'm watching uh, that are that emphasize joy, yeah. optimism, yeah. humanity. Yeah. You know, a movie like It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, I can't wait to that, see that. That has a scene in it that absolutely destroyed me and it is, this gives nothing away to tell you what it is. So Mr. Rogers, played by Tom Hanks, is sitting talking to uh, a journalist and it's it's getting a little heated between the two of them. Mr. Rogers says, you know what? Let's just stop for a minute. Let's just like draw this back. I want you to think about someone that you love right now for the next 60 seconds. And the film stops. The sound drops out and, the, and you know, a lot of films would cheat and they'd go 20 seconds or 30. Nope. A full minute oh. of silence in these two minutes, and it brought the house yeah. down. When it, there wasn't a dry eye in the house when I saw it, and I walked away from that going, you know what? This is an exercise we could all do and probably feel yeah. better about. And and you know, we just seem to be living in such, and we've gone off topic. We just seem to be no. living in such contentious times yeah. now that when I see things like David Byrne's American Utopia, or I see It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, or I read I I Gets Lucky, I feel a little bit better about things. Yeah, I think that the world is definitely needing more of that right now. There's so much anger and 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 everyone's divided and everyone's pointing fingers and it's 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 just yeah that's kind of the point with ii gets lucky is is even environmentalism i feel like the way everyone's so angry at each other and you must do it this way if you mm -hmm. like animals you must do this and you must do that and what do you have that and why do you do this and it, and it's like no I don't believe that. I believe that everyone's going to help in their own li little way. Some people do a big way. Some people yep. do a little way. The smallest thing, that's why in the back, I'm like, tell your friend about an I.I. Right. It's like that helps. Yep. It really helps. Read the book. Enjoy the book. It's like not everyone is going to hold the same. We've all had different things that we want to rally for, but – I've just there's so much anger around it that you're scared to do anything. You're scared to say out loud, "I love animals," because everybody's like, "Well, if you love animals, then <laughs> you'd live in a bubble, and you would." It, yeah. it, it's so. It, I I want to open this world to little kids and and be like, you know what? Just love this character, and that's you loving animals. We've just got a few minutes left. 
Let's talk about some general questions here. Uh, how do you sift through your ideas to find the one that will occupy your time? Ooh, that I, I'm. That's a challenge. It and I'm not very good at it. I'm really, really not. I have a board and I put up a recipe cards with all the ideas, and I tend to let them sit for a little bit. Right. And there's periods where I'm like, I don't have any ideas. I'm, I'm not a writer. And then there's times where it's like, no, be quiet, brain. There's too much in there. And now is one of those times. I have so many ideas. Like I'm loving this series, and then I just came up with another series, mm. and it's like it's called Forever Friends, and it's gonna the proceeds will go to animals that are to places that rehome animals, and it'll right. be about animals finding their forever homes. But it's like, okay, Terry, when do you have time for that? You're doing films too, and yeah, it's yeah. so yeah. No, the ideas. Uh, I, I have definitely could never write a how-to book on organizing your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> never. I, I have found that. Uh, as I've gotten older, I tend to sit with ideas for longer because yeah. I think, do I really want to spend the That's next smart. year and a half writing this book? Yeah. Or do I want to, you know, and 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 so I sit with them for longer. I used to just jump in and go, oh, I'll figure it yeah. out as I go. And that uh, doesn't always very good uh, advice. work out very well. Very good advice. Um, formative books. We talked about Danny Kaye. Uh, you know, we, you've written a, a children's book named I, I Gets Lucky. Uh, what, is there a children's book that you would recommend? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Honestly, I have a sh I have shelves full of children's books. And it's like to, to single out one feels wrong. Right. Um, I do like rhyming books. Yeah. I really do. I enjoy reading out loud. And I like, and I always the advice if you're writing children's book, don't rhyme. And there's some fun books right out right now of that. You know, it's funny. All the books in the UK, they rhyme mm. really well, and they 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 do. But there's some amazing Canadian. There's so many good books. I can't. You can't. No, I know. I should have come armed with that. But I, there's so many flipping through my brain right now. It's like the ideas. Well, I I gets lucky is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's in stores right now. Uh, in studio, my guest has been Terry Tatchell. Thanks so much for this. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking so much. <laughs> uh, the book is available wherever you buy fine books, online or in brick-and-mortar stores, and all the proceeds uh, go to a great cause. So check out I, I Gets Lucky. Uh, Terry, thank you so much. My thanks to Robert on the board, and most of all, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk again next week.